This is episode 21 of Eat, Play, Sex. Here's a hot highlight for what's to come. Under eating of any type, too few carbs, too few calories, over exercising, like stress, anything that really puts a stress on the body is going to signal to the, you know, the reproductive system that is like not a good time to make babies. So let's shut stuff down. This podcast is for mature audiences 18 and over and for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider before pursuing any of our topics discussed. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with your queens of climax, Dr. Kat and Di. The place to get play, sex, and nutrition talk straight to your ears. Side effects of this podcast may include more lovemaking, hormone harmony, spontaneous sex, exceptional orgasms, less sugar cravings, and more sex cravings. In rare cases, listeners experience a strong desire to try new sexual positions and lube with organic edibles. If you experience moods happier than usual, contact your Facebook friends immediately. Hello, lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex, Your Favorite podcast talking about all things eat play and sex i am nutritionist diane kazer and i'm sex expert dr kat meyer expert dr kat what's up my sister oh amazing i'm sitting here in this super warm (laughs) house right now chatting with you fine ladies it just keeps getting hotter and hotter are you sitting on ice peas this time oh my gosh i am don't tell (laughs) It is definitely not so a pea brain. Warm in here. It's ridiculous. Just Wait, do you not have an AC? No, I live in Southern California by the ocean. So they believe that you can cool yourself off by jumping in the ocean. But I'm a cat and I don't really like water. So you're right. And so how would you have sex in that kind of environment? Well, I do like to get wet, but not Whoa. like that kind of wet. If you know what I mean. Right. If you get it. <laughs> It would yeah. be like it would be like when you teach hot yoga in your own bedroom, baby. <laughs> what are you What are you saying? When, don't tell everybody this. <laughs> oh, I saw a video of you doing this one day. <laughs> we are super stoked today because I. I mean, this is one of these conversations I wish that we could have literally in person over like a, a green drink or well, you'll hear why a paleo meal. Definitely not intermittent fasting, but somewhere around the world with our expert today. She's beautiful she's full of oh, she's so cute i like she's her amazing she's amazing we're super excited to have her on the show today we are going to have stephanie ruper of paleo for women i've interviewed her a couple of times on many topics and today we're going to talk about many different things so you guys are in for a treat today we're going to talk about uh five things specifically we're going to dive into five things intermittent fasting and when it's a bad idea for women is one Check. number two yep <laughs> number two carbs Ladies, they are our friend. Check, and check. So this is the second myth. Yep. So we're going to talk about a lot of myths and a lot of hearsay and a lot of dogma that you, that were is circulating around the world and that we are seeing a lot of women just losing themselves through dogma. And we're going to break a lot of myths today. Thanks to Stephanie. We're going to talk about hormonal issues such as PCOS mm. and how to heal naturally. That, yes. You know, big one. Medicine. Huge, huge oh. one. And you ladies are not broken. Um, a part of you is, is you know, broken at the time, but it's not your entire parts. It's just a part of you that's broken. And we just got to fix it. That's all. You just got to know how and how to do so without debilitating your body even more. Acne, another one. Our guest had awful acne, just like me. You guys are not alone, ladies. You're And men, too, who are listening. You're not doomed and you're certainly not unhealable. And you're beautiful no matter how many pimples you have on your face or on your body. You're beautiful inside the, out. These are That's- just symptoms. <laughs> this is just the body talking to us and says that something's off. That's it. Yeah. 
sometimes screaming at us, like, please just love me and pay attention to me. So we are going to talk a lot about self-love uh, throughout. So you, that's why you will love this show too. Uh, and then the last thing, last but not least, birth control, what to try that doesn't debilitate you and how to take charge of your hormonal life and your body and how all of that plays into your sex life, your confidence at work, your confidence with your girlfriends, your family, your identity to self, self-love. So all of these top five things and probably more. And we're going to start off with a really funny story that Stephanie wants to share. But first, we want to thank you guys for tuning into the show every other week. We're really excited about today's topic. We're stoked about the other 20 topics that we've covered. So make sure that if you're, if this is your first time listening, go back and listen to some of the other topics because a lot of them tie into each other. Very comprehensive show. You guys are the reason we do this. We, we want to thank you guys for always sending us the questions and some of them are in private, but tuning in, spreading the word and leaving reviews, even though it's really hard on iTunes. Thank you, Steve Jobs. <laughs> and trying some of the suggestions that we're recommending on the blog. We've been getting tons of great feedback on the products and the sex tonics and things. Our goal ultimately is to get you all to eat, play, and sex better so you can improve your sex life, which will improve, of course, every aspect of your life. Hashtag confidence. So if you haven't already, please head over to our blog, eatplaysex.com where you can subscribe to the show, connect with us, ask us questions, and grab our free sexy guides to boost your confidence, vitality, and sex life. Don't forget the most amazing update we had last month is that we've got a great new sponsor, one free Yumi pleasure toy we're going to give away each month to a lucky listener. It's something that we not only use pretty much every day, but we run across the freeways and drop on accident when we're doing photo shoots. For real. <laughs> it's but it is totally a game changer to help stops you get traffic. to know yourself better. It yeah. does literally stop traffic. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 if any other thing to get you present, this this pleasure toy does. You, you can't not be present when you're with this amazing thing. But all you guys have to do to enter to win is share this episode and hashtag EatPlaySex on your favorite social media platform. So be sure to head over to EatPlaySex for official contest rules. Without further ado, let's get into our guest and let's get into a little bit of play cap first. What did you do this weekend that you want to share? Because I know you were busy, girl. Oh my God, I was all over the place. First of all, I saw you. We had an amazing photo shoot together and we held hands and we gazed into each beach. other's eyes and, and, and told everybody we did engagement photos that day. Yeah, underneath the sunset. It was amazing. <laughs> but before that, <laughs> before that, I was hand. actually playing with sex toys myself. I was at the And Me Expo for toy and sex products. And oh, I swear to God, every time I go to things like that, I, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I'm running around and I'm pushing buttons and I'm, yeah, I'm a kitten in a candy store. <laughs> I'm like pushing buttons. And I'm like, what does this one do? What does this one do? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and then I like found clitoral jewelry in there. And, and then so people beautiful. were showing me like butt plugs with foxtails on it, which for anybody who knows me, I'm obsessed with things with tails. I love tails. I love tail. <laughs> I think it's a cat thing, but <laughs> you need a tank top. Yeah, <laughs> pun intended. But it was it was really fun. It was yeah. So, and it's fascinating because to be in that environment, everybody's fully open about talking everything pleasure related and sex related, and we I get into some of the most bizarre fetish every thing you can imagine somebody I was talking to you about sex in the shower you know it was it was great because that's one of those things that's 
sounds super erotic and exciting and novel and you're like yeah we're gonna have sex in the shower but then you try it and you break a leg or you get soap in your eye or like (laughs) the angles are weird and you end up straining something like it's not super sexy so anyway we'll get into that in another show of how you can safely have sex in the shower (laughs) <laughs> Safely and sensu- sensually. Yeah, all the above. Without risking and your soapy. life. <laughs> Sudsy. <laughs> yeah. We we are always on the lookout for you lovers with uh, some uh, really powerful new things, new toys, new takeaways, new strategies that you can try. So it, it's no longer one of those things where you're like, oh, I can't possibly talk about that with my partner. It's like, come on we it's it's sex we're supposed to we're supposed to be doing that so we're going to talk a lot about sex today which is awesome which is one of the intentions of the show so we are going to be covering with stephanie ruper a lot of these really really big dogma topics that many people follow her for because she is one of those just goddesses that breaks a lot of myths and goes deep into the research and is a warrior like us and says hold up so i want to bring her on the show finally and officially stephanie ruper welcome sis star (laughs) hey every time it hasn't happened in a while but if i get an email with a sis star in the subject line that's a hundred percent it's going to be from diane kayser you know (laughs) (laughs) For real, girl, if I get a text message from her, I know I know it's her by by <laughs> by that intro. I don't even know. I think I start I like to break down words. Words are fun. You know, if you break I just like break down breaking down and dismantling everything and going, "Hey, what can we do here? We could play, make a a fun pun and play on this word." But you are She likes breaking down men. She likes breaking down <laughs> words. Oh, breaking down myself. Sometimes I'm just so mean to myself. It's called I think being analytical and recovering perfectionist, but it's so much easier for me to see the light in you guys and and the two of you and being stars than it is in myself, which is why self-love is such a big topic we're going to talk about today and why Stephanie Ruper wrote like a million pages on it and one of her awesome books. <laughs> Stephanie, I yeah. bow down to you, goddess. My God, I was reading all these blogs that you were putting and I was like, yes, 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 queen. All of it. Thank you. You would probably enjoy, I think I most comprehensively, I'm not, I, I swear I'm not trying to sell anything right now, but I, I do have a book <laughs> and uh, it's called sexy by nature and it's just it's like it's really fierce and i have a feeling that the two of you resonate with that sort of aesthetic you know with that sort of approach to self-love that's like really kind of courageous and unapologetic yes. i feel like we sort of we sort of need that kind of really fiery rhetoric to sort of push back at least i do you know to push back against all the all the weight that's you know constantly pushing down on us yeah, how to lose weight with this book without even changing your carbs, right? <laughs> it's it's the weight of of our own self-deprecation and, and negative self-talk. I, I love that book. I read it a couple of years ago when I first interviewed you. I want to just give him a little bit about you before we get into our very popular question that we're going to ask you. It's really fun. Quickly, Stephanie, I, th- this is a four-sentence or four-line thing to describe who she is, although she's obviously full of a comprehensive approach to empowering women and empowering human beings, I would say. She's the managing director of paleoforwomen.com and is the best-selling author of Sexy by Nature, The Whole Food Solution to Radiant Health, Lifelong Sex Appeal, and Soaring Confidence. She's currently working toward her PhD at Oxford University in England. Is that where you are right now? Yes. Yes. <gasps> awesome. My gosh. 
Yeah, I yeah. bounce around a fair bit, but I am here at the moment. Yeah. Kat, I don't know if I told you this. She's a go-go dancer, and she is an amazing salsa dancer, and she has a way better collection of salsa shoes because she uses them more often than Stop I do. Stop it. <laughs> Stephanie, yeah, we're going also, dancing. My, prob- my, my favorite thing of all the things I do is dance and teach. I teach salsa and stuff. So, Girl. You're teaching? Yeah. Well, you know, I just, I mean, I, I love it so much. I tend to not, I don't teach big, like, classes, but I do teach in smaller groups or individuals I sort of help people refine their communication skills because I'm sure that y'all talk about this all the time you know on the podcast about sex but I think dancing it's a really like beautiful language for communicating between two people different emotions different sorts of flirtatious thoughts and I sort of help people refine their communicating so they can connect with their partners better I love that part of it because yeah. dance is such a communication device. I mean, every, everything with the body and movement and eye contact and holding mm-hmm. eye contact and how you smile at each other. There's so much more to communication than words. And we tend to get stuck on the words a lot. And, yeah. and I, whenever I, I dance, whenever I salsa dance, I, I sit there and I look at in the floor and I think about this a lot too, Stephanie. I'm like, I wonder, I wonder how awesome Stephanie would be here. I was just at a dance competition watching my friend <laughs> compete like two weekends ago. And it was just like this world qualifier. It was like really, like, mm-hmm. you know, the dancing with the stars judges and stuff were there and I got to meet a lot of them. And it's, it's so addicting just to watch because it gets you, you're moved, you're emotionally moved without saying a word or hearing a word. You're just moved by the, the, the sensual exchange of communication between two people. And then you wonder, they have to be fucking. They have to be. Nah. Like, look at them. Look at nah. them. And it's like, no, they're just speaking <laughs> with like, it, 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 wow. You know, how could they not with how sexy that dance is? You know, mm. wow, it's so cool. <laughs> so that's that's how you two inspire me is um, I'm really shy with my body. I I played pro soccer. And so I'm more of like a the dominant take people down, protect my team. And you guys are more of the exchange. How can I give? How can I flow? And so I'm looking to balance myself out um, with more of that. And I know that our listeners have different ways to balance themselves out. So I encourage you guys to listen to many different ways that you can balance yourselves out. It's not about being any one of us, but it's about just finding little snippets of this conversation today that may resonate, that help you find your balance, your unique, your unique corn balance. So Stephanie, we want to ask you a question and you get to answer one of two. So the question option number one, what is your most embarrassing sex moment? Or question number two, what was the most crazy diet or nutrition thing that you tried for sake of your sex, health, or body? All right. Well, I've never done anything dumb for the sake of my uh, sex life or body. So um, I'm going to have to go with the embarrassing question. This is not embarrassing. And I'll just, I'll tell you the thing that I mentioned earlier. So I tend to, uh, I tend to be pretty vocal about ideas I have about sex, particularly if I think that they could be feminist in any kind of way on social media. And I try to just sort of, you know, talk really openly because even though, you know, with you two wonderful ladies and other people, it's very easy and welcome to talk openly about sex. And generally speaking, in broader culture, it's just not. And so I try to sort of, you know, I try to push that. And anyway, so I was uh, I was on my way from London, where I was living, uh, to Boston, where I have a lover, my main squeeze, my primary partner. And I was thinking I would really like to bring a dildo and probably one that vibrates for like mm-hmm. me. And I would also like to tr- use that on him. And 
I was really worried because I wasn't checking any bags, you know, like, mm-hmm. can I can I get this through security? So then I like Googled it a lot, you know, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, this was a really expensive vibrator that I wanted to bring. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I ended up not bringing it. But I had a funny idea in my head, an event that would have been funny. And so I ended up slightly tricking my friends into thinking that I had a really lovely moment at the airport. So I posted on Facebook, I said, today I I was my tagged my location at Gatwick Airport, which is in London. And uh, my status was, today I learned that you can only bring a dildo on an airplane if it measures less than seven inches. (laughs) 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 So everybody, everybody thought, of course, that I brought a dildo on an airplane and it was too big and security took it away. And I do kind of wish that that would have happened, but I'm really attached to my dildo. So I'm really glad I didn't do that. Um, yeah, it was funny, but it's it sparked a lot of really interesting stuff, right? Because it's like, A, everybody just assumed that that's what's happened. They didn't know that I just Googled it. And B, you know, a lot of the guys felt the need to talk about their penises, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like my mm-hmm. friends. And then somebody asked me like, hey, Steph, like, uh, actually, the lover I was going to see in Boston, he was like, so do you like the sex attention? You know, like what sort of motivates this kind of post? But it is definitely what I just mentioned, my desire to sort of push against these norms and normalize behavior that's really healthy, you know, for people, which is why I'm so vocal and open about uh, my own sex life. And unfortunately, I I haven't bumbled into too many, you know, horrifyingly embarrassing stories that so I can't share anything with you. But I do try to be funny. Once in a that while. was no, that was pretty good. Um, in fact, that actually reminds me last week, I had dinner with uh, Dr. Ava Cadell. And she was giving me these little tiny screaming O's, which are these little vibrators that go on your finger that are like rings or whatever. And I was playing with them at that dinner. And then I put them in my bag because I was on my way to another another dinner with a bunch of friends and, and colleagues and stuff. And I, I remember showing up and I put my bag down and all of a sudden I'm talking and whatever and my there's this loud vibrating coming from my purse and I was like somebody was like somebody's phone's going off and I was like oh that's not my phone (laughs) and I check and I pull out this ring it is vibrator and everybody everybody's looking at me right and I'm holding this thing like trying to turn it off and they're like what is that and I was like oh you know it's it's." (laughs) and it started a whole conversation about uh, pleasure and the types of the ways that we the different ways that we enjoy pleasure and the pleasure buttons that we have near our in our vulva and it was amazing but I, I love that you encourage these types of casual conversations to be able to talk about it more I try likewise <laughs> you know that was so when I went to Germany to play pro soccer in 2001 I and I had it was bigger than seven inches I think Stephanie and it was the one that you and I Kat talked about the pink one with the little the bunny ears with the the, the rotating the pearls yeah, yeah. yeah the huge one and I brought it with me I was like 22 years old at the time and I think that was my very first toy actually yeah. and and I and I brought it in my suitcase and my coach came to pick me up and he pulled it out of the bag and I don't know German you know when he's speaking to me in German he's trying to tell me something and I'm like I don't know what you're trying to say and he's like uh, uh, and he kind of like made his hand like he gestured something was moving in my in my per or my uh, bag and I opened it and I was like oh oh my god I don't even know how to turn this off right <laughs> now amazing. it's just it's it could break the ice at the time I was really embarrassed now I'd just be like I would probably pick it up and be like hello and answer answer like <laughs> it, it's it's the, the this is also like the we to to shine a light on sex like it's a good thing instead of being something that we 
should be embarrassed or ashamed by for talking about. So I think today's going to be fun. We're going to talk about it casually and you know humorously. So thanks for sharing that, Stephanie. Now let's get into some of the really important questions that we have for you today regarding you know women. Uh, today, what we hear more is from women than, than for men that their sex drive is in the crapper. It's in the toilet. It's in the, whatever phrase that they're using, it's not good. It sounds awful. And they're like, it's dead down there. And it's like, man, we've had a couple shows where we talk about the whole concept of calling our beautiful goddess garden down there. It's like, should we put some caution tape around it? Should we put like a tombstone on it? Like stop talking about your beautiful parts like that. They're a part of you. So we're going to cover a lot of that today. And I, I think it's really prudent to start with, some of the things that that you really kicked off and gained a lot of respect in the in the blogosphere for the first one being you know we eat place sex we talk about three different things in the show so we'd love to start talking about eating and how literally diet plays so much of a part in our sex life our sex drive our confidence our energy levels and i still when i'm interviewed for other things too and i'm talking about food related to diet, they're like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't realize that food had that much of a play on sex hormones or sex. I'm like, what? Wait a second. So like you said, it's important. It's necessary. So can we talk about first, can we start talking about carbohydrates and dispel some of the myths about carbs and how, why they're so important uh, for ourselves, our energy and our sex life and our sex hormones? Yeah, it's really important. I, you know, like you, I find it so flabbergasting when people are like, really, that affects me. I'm like, you are literally made out of what you eat. Like, what do you, what do you think your body is made out of? You know, how can that, how can it not affect you? And this is, this is really important when we talk about things like carbs and fat. And I find it so puzzling that there are so many people in the world who think that like carbs are the devil and you must eat a low carbohydrate diet. And there are also so many people in the world who think fat is the devil, you know, probably more, right. And you must eat a low fat diet. Right. And I'm like, well, okay okay, y'all have like some valid points about things that might go on in people's bodies. But here's the thing, like these are different people, right? A really big part of my approach to physical health is that and mental health is that one person's cure is not another person's cure, right? So mm -hmm. for, for anybody to say, like everybody should be on a low carb diet, it's just is ridiculous. What about women who are recovering from eating disorders? And that's a terrible idea, a low carb diet, which is a terrible idea, you know, uh, breastfeeding women, right? Um, pregnant women. And of course, really anybody <laughs> who feels like it or who feels like they have more energy or their appetite is more balanced or literally anything. Uh, you know, there are some health conditions, I think some specific health conditions that um, can be helped or you can throw a stopgap in for a low carb diet, right? So if you have diabetes type one or type two, or insulin resistance of a sort, then a low carbohydrate diet, especially, okay, if you don't have type one for type one, like you, you know, you have your own special um, needs because you must uh, inject insulin. But if you have type two diabetes or insulin resistance, then yeah, a lower carbohydrate diet will lower, you know, your insulin levels for a while. And that's great. But, you know, I caution people on this approach too, that, a low carbohydrate diet isn't going to fix the underlying insulin resistance problem. You know, as a matter of fact, you know, ketosis is so popular right now and it's just killing me. Just yes. killing I see me. everywhere. Please talk about that, Stephanie, please. I'm just like, I'm, I'm dying. I'm like, did, I thought we were past this. I thought we got over this. So ketosis is back for a number of reasons. I think probably the primary reason it's back is people figured out how to package and sell them. Exactly. Like ketones. And now all of a sudden, like, you know, bloggers are selling it 
And I'm like, okay, fine. You know, when they're doing ketosis and even people who I had thought like realize that carbohydrates aren't terrible are, are doing the ketosis thing. And that's just, that's really problematic to me because like I said, I think people have different cures and different needs. And also, you know, if you go on ketosis, you can really hurt your insulin sensitivity in the long run. You know, I, they call it non-pathological insulin resistance, which basically means your body does it because it feels like it and not because it's sick. <laughs> fine. <laughs> you know, fine. Right. We're sort of mincing words here, but fine. But that means that like, if you are in ketosis for a while or eat a low carb diet for a while, and then you decide to add carbs back in, you might be worse off than when you started. There's actually, you know, it's, it's quite likely. And so also in ketosis, while I'm on the topic, you know, people are really worried about sparing their muscles and yeah, you know, good. That's an important worry. And ketosis proponents will tell you that no, 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 no. Well, your body secretes a lot of stress hormones to protect your muscles. And I'm like, hang on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, that doesn't sound good. What does the body do? (laughs) And it's true. I mean, the body's epinephrine levels just skyrocket when you're fasting or doing ketosis or, you know, usually both, you know, fasting and ketosis are are very related physiologically. So um, I just, nobody is better served by having really high levels of stress levels in their system, especially people already stressed, people have trouble with sleep, you know, um, anybody with an autoimmune disease, which is at least 20% of Americans. I just, the list is huge. So wait, wait, wait back up the choo-choo train when you're saying about you know going on this fasting and how it releases all the stress hormones i know that that kills our production of sex hormones because you can't have both of them right being produced at the same time yeah i mean you can but the sex hormones wouldn't come out in balance you know i don't think they'd come out particularly well and for some people like it it just destroys the production you know it totally varies because I do know some people with who are like really estrogen dominant, right, and really stressed out. Although it is also the case that a lot of people will just stop producing hormones. And this is why so many women develop irregular menstrual cycles or stop menstruating, like just because they're working too much. You know, yeah. that's mm-hmm. it's so real. And I know, you know, there's a post on my website about intermittent fasting, but there's hundreds of comments and, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, fasting is great. (laughs) I'm like, okay, fine. But there were a ton of comments of people saying, yo, this totally resonates with me that fasting has been problematic. And I'm like, see, this is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. For some people, it's fine, but we need to recognize that for a lot of people, it's not, you know, and and for women, especially under eating of any type, you know, too few carbs, too few calories, over exercising, like stress, anything that really puts a stress on the body is going to signal to the, you know, the reproductive system that is like not a good time to make babies. So let's shut stuff down. And then, you know, without those hormones, again, a whole slew of other problems result, right, that can mess with your immune system, it can mess with your gut, it will definitely very often messes with people's sleep, it destroys my sleep. If I fast all day, and I really wish I could fast, I love fasting, I work well, I can't fall asleep that night or the next night. You know, it's just, it's not something my body is capable of doing. Yeah. As an, as an athlete, I, I have done the intermittent fasting thing for many years of my life. You know, when you roll out of bed and you have a soccer game at eight and you barely have time to shove anything in your mouth and it's typically like a a bagel or something awful that I don't do anymore. And then going into college, you know, yeah, yeah, that (laughs) shove it in the mouth or whatever. 
or similar to that would be a banana, but that would be like the healthiest thing I used to eat before a game. But the then it turned into coffee, and so now we've got. I, I mean, Stephanie Proud, I would guess that fifty to eighty percent of women are doing the roll out of bed, don't even eat breakfast, so they they think that they're doing a good thing, and they drink coffee because they're in this still like low carb idea, or like low calorie idea, ca- calorie right. counting points and stuff. So. I know that the reason that you wrote that intermittent fasting article, I think, was in in clarification and expansion of Dave Asprey's right about bulletproof coffee. Was that right? No. So I actually this was kind of my this was the first splash I made in paleo because I was like, yo, sex differences. Let's think about these. Yeah. (laughs) And um, Dave actually wrote an article in response to mine basically saying that his method wasn't fasting and I was like okay (laughs) (laughs) basically I was like all right fine you know whatever do your thing he had to he had to respond because because his whole shtick was fasting and I was I was saying that 50% of people should be wary with it and that's like you know that's that's quite an assault on his audience yeah, but you had you read the article, lovers. It's it's a very well written article. That's one of the things I love about Stephanie. She doesn't just write it just based on her opinion. It, it's actual cited resources and articles by people talking about the the whole cascade of you've got the hormone hormonal axis that comes from the gut and hypothalamus, the pituitary, the adrenal, which is called we call it HPA, and then the HPT axis, which even a lot of Western medicine doctors aren't talking about the the bringing together of all of the I call it the Tao, the thyroid, the adrenals, and the ovaries. So it's the Tao of our body. And if those aren't talked about all in unison and you're just thrown on a drug or you're you're taught to eat certain things or to avoid carbs then it, it we've got a symphony and these bands it's a band one member can't be playing over here in a different part of the world and the other playing that we have to they have to play together so intermittent fasting carb shaming so you're saying that both of those before someone decides to move into a diet consider it for themselves and their specific conditions those articles do you think are they are they well covered enough that we could reference them to go over there or should we spe- specifically talk about certain conditions that what where people are okay with intermittent fasting because i know for one i'm okay as an athlete doing intermittent fasting in the morning and i just tell people to tread lightly with it so what would you say about that for is there some women that it's good for yeah i mean i can make general recommendations and i kind of just did right saying that if you're prone to stress if you're sensitive if you have fertility you know like x y and z issues Generally speaking, like if if your body tends to be stressed or restricted in any way, I would say, you know, tread lightly, you know, if it doesn't react well to that sort of thing. If you have fertility issues, you know, tread lightly. I would tell everybody then to just pay attention, you know, and also when you start doing a protocol, if it's not really working, don't automatically assume that it's because you're not doing it well enough. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. like, oh my God, I'm not, I need to fast more. I need to eat even fewer carbs. It's like, okay, that's possible, but it's also possible that you need something different. You know, I just right. more than anything think that people should be like really acquainted with, with their, you know, with their bodies and how they react to certain things. I think it's such a shame. I think one of the, we should be teaching people like, what happens in your body and you know how to manipulate it and it's so unfortunate that it's just not on anybody's radar Mm, really learning about our bodies and and the way 
that it way it processes and works the you know the, another topic that really stood out for me from all of your work and doing my research and reading about you is something that i see all the time or not all the time but i see clients women coming in uh to talk to me about this but it's the polycystic ovarian syndrome mm-hmm. can you <laughs> that was a question okay yes. no <laughs> statement like I, i'm like this this right here because i don't think a lot of people know about what this actually is and how it's impacting our body and a lot of women like like diane was saying earlier they think that they're broken but it's really something else that's going on and it's something that we can help can you share with our with our listeners what exactly this is yeah so pcos i it's important. I think it represents a lot of, you know, we can draw a lot of lessons talking about PCOS. You know, one of them is that, you know, you can walk into a doctor's office and if you have PCOS, they'll just give you a pack of birth control pills. And it's like, all right, like, great. You know, um, that happened to you, right? Yeah. 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 Although, you know, like I said, I think that happens to most people and yeah, well, that's not going to solve anybody's problem. You know, (laughs) it's actually probably going to make it worse in the long run. If you're just covering up a problem you know, with a Band-Aid, right? A birth control pill for PCOS is a Band-Aid because there is an underlying, you know, chemical problem, right? The body is a chemical system. There's an underlying chemical problem. And if you take a birth control pill, that's not going to fix it. It's just going to cover it up. So that's really problematic. And what we really need to do with PCOS, as with all things, is think about where it's coming from and then think, okay, is there something I can do about that? So I happened into PCOS. I was diagnosed in 2009, which was a while ago now and it didn't make sense to me because from what I could tell reading everything online PCOS is a something that happens to women who like tend to be diabetic or insulin resistant and overweight you know and there's there's like a standard model of PCOS and doctors will treat you like you have that kind of PCOS if you have it they'll say well you need to you know lose weight and exercise because that's that's what a lot of doctors say but this didn't make sense to me because I was, you know, skin and bones. Basically, I was really thin. I worked out all the time. I didn't eat much. You know, I was a vegetarian. I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing all this stuff right because yeah, I'm healthy. I thought, yeah, right, right. Um, and I did a lot of a lot of research about PCOS, and you know, I always had this suspicion that maybe gaining weight would help, um, but. I really didn't want to believe it because I needed to be thin in order to feel like people would love me. And like, I was like winning the game that women play against each other or mm, whatever. Yeah. Ridiculous. So anyway, I ended up coming to believe and then writing a ton of blog posts <laughs> and developing a program around it. This idea that PCOS is not just this problem of, you know, abundance, you know, of eating too much, of having too much insulin, needing to lose weight, but it's rather a hormone imbalance that manifests as cysts on the ovaries. And it's actually really common in a lot of different body types and in women with a ton of different kinds of conditions. So I ended up breaking up PCOS down into three main types, although there's, a you know, overlap and other causes besides. Um, type 1 PCOS I describe as the dominant type, which is about 60% of women in you know, they, again, they tend to uh, have higher body fat percentages, might be a little bit insulin resistant. Type 2 is actually my type of PCOS, what I had have, which is women who are like maybe underweight, you know, overexercise, restrict their diets, don't eat carbs, don't eat fat. You know, they're constantly, they're not eating enough. 
And the reason you have these two things is because on one side, the body is like overproducing testosterone, right? You're just, there are some imbalances, right? When you are in the state of insulin resistance and too much testosterone, the ovaries make. And then in the other type, the type 2 PCOS, the problem isn't that you're making too much testosterone, although you can, <laughs> that's the thing. And you're making too much stress hormone, probably, which will act as a male sex hormone in your body, PS. <laughs> but you're also underproducing female sex hormones just because you're not eating enough. And like I mentioned earlier, the female body will um, sort of go into this starvation mode if it's starved. And then there's other stuff too. Type three, I identify as hypothyroidism because that's really important for PCOS. Also, like, you know, if you've been on birth control matters, if you have the, you know, one a set of the gene mutations, the um, MTHFR set, all of these different things, of, of course, play a role. And I think it's really important that we talk about PCOS, <laughs> by the way, which is an infertility condition. I guess I should have said that. First. Oh, yeah. <laughs> PCOS is a hormone imbalance that typically leads to infertility. It's the leading cause of infertility in the Western world. Oh, my God. Um, I didn't realize that. Really? Are you? Oh, <laughs> it, it it's is under a very large vibrator rock. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Just kidding. What would you um, say, Stephanie? Is there is there a high percentage of women that are silently being under or undiagnosed or misdiagnosed with PCOS? Probably. You know, I, there's obviously there's no data on this, but so far as it as the numbers show, it's probably around 15% of women in America who like know they have PCOS. I would assume that a lot of women are on the border, you know, PCOS is sort of this label that we put on a set of people, but the underlying hormone imbalances that lead to PCOS are existent, I would guess probably in most women to some extent or another. Are the symptoms the same across the board? No, although there's a cluster and they can sort of manifest in you varying on your genetics and on your type of PCOS, right? So type one PCOS, yes, of course, you'll probably have extra body fat, but maybe not and tend to be insulin resistant, um, which I want to be clear. I tell people um, to treat by reducing inflammation and healing the gut and not a low-carb diet, though that can be a short-term fix. And then there are some women, you know, who, who tend to be really thin. Commonalities are signs of this uh, hormone imbalance, which would be A, cysts on the ovaries, B, irregular menstrual cycles or completely absent menstrual cycles, C, a really dry vagina, stuff like that. You might not make a lot of lube. Definitely acne, especially around the mouth and jawline. Uh, that's really big. Also facial hair growth, right? We're looking at like signs of, these are also um, symptoms that men get when they take steroids because <laughs> it's too yep. much testosterone. Yeah. And then you get extra facial hair growth or um, balding because um, that's also kind of male. So those are kind of the main things, but really any sort of hormonal symptoms can swept into that pile. You know, when I when I first read about PCOS, when I became a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, I, I was reading the symptoms and I was going, oh my, I probably had PCOS when I was 18 and I went to college and that's when I first was given birth control and it, oh, it was bloated me. I gained 15 pounds in a month. It was awful. I got right off of it. Just like you said, it makes you worse. And some women, like I do have the MTHFR gene. And for those of you who want to know what that means, it basically stands for motherfucker in the Western medicine field. <laughs> it's not always what it looks like. And that's how we all joke about it. But it is, it really is. It impairs your body's ability to detoxify things, but specifically in this case, harmful estrogens 
like the four and the 16. And these are the ones that cause problems. And so this is why people who have an impaired, it basically means you have an impaired trash, trash can taker outer. So you have toxins that back up and build up and then um, cause problems in the liver. You can't get them out. And then they create growths in the body like Stephanie's talking about. So I didn't know I had the MTHFR gene back then, but then they also, I knew there was something wrong with my thyroid back then. And the next thing I was given was Accutane for my acne. So I really think that, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Oh boy is right. And that's like, did they ever prescribe that to you or try to? Thank God. No, you know, my body handles pretty much nothing. So, um, I, I never, I had terrible acne, terrible acne, and all because I really wanted to be thin, mm. but I, I knew that the Accutane would really destroy me. So I never, I never took it. I was obviously not as smart as you and I took it two rounds of it. Yes. It's awful. It's chemo for those of you who are listening. It's, it is a chemo drug. So the, the last part of this is self-love part of all of this, Stephanie, because we, we are going to have links for you guys to read all of these things for Stephanie, because she does have a whole wealth of knowledge for you so that you can take your power back with empowerment of self-love and, and health, obviously with hormones. So the, the whole acne, you're not alone, not doomed and certainly not unhealable. We want, we invite you to realize that you, you are. You're not alone. And and taking a birth control pill or taking Accutane are not the only solutions. I did want to ask about this last question too, Stephanie, because you know we acne or not, PCOS or not, women are have been being prescribed for now what, 50, 60, 70 years uh, birth control pills, and it's actually made things worse when it comes to our sexuality and our sex desires. So, can you talk about possibly a little bit of that as well as maybe some healthier alternatives that you have? I'm always a little bit discouraged. I mean, not discouraged. I feel bad when people ask me, like, what are the natural birth control options? And I'm like, slim and bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. There's not, a, there's, there's really, there's not a lot. So yeah, I, you know, the pill is, I know plenty of people who take it and are like, just fine, you know, and then they come off of it and they have babies and everything is just fine. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Again, lots of fine. It's totally fine. But there are the number of women who are, I don't want to say are failed by the system, but the number of women for whom this is, this does not work is, is pretty big. And usually most people who take birth control end up settling with, you know, one symptom or another. Yeah, it's not particularly ideal for your hormone systems because your pituitary gland can get a little bit reliant on it, you know. Um, it basically just detects hormones in your bloodstream and says, all right, well, I'm not going to make more, right, because there's plenty in here already. And then also your liver can get a backlog of, you know, estrogen stored up just because it's it's trying to detox and it's not going quickly enough because you're taking a bunch. And that can be problematic because the estrogen and progesterone can build up in your bloodstream. And then you can come off the pill and they're going to stay in your bloodstream, you know, because they're still kicking around in your liver and your body's having a hard time excreting them. So, uh, yeah, the pill is not ideal but I totally understand if if that if people think that that's the best option. If you do like low dose all the way, you know, it sh- it'll be effective. So why not go with a low dose? I'm always a little bit puzzled when people don't. You know, I would do that for sure. Get your triglycerides checked. You know, if you, if you go on an estrogen containing birth control option because estrogen in birth control can slightly increase you know the chance of blood clotting and stuff. So pay attention to that. In terms of natural alternatives, you know, so there's like the copper IUD people I guess they say by natural it's like non-hormonal right this can be problematic because a lot of women happen into uh, a they either tend to get like 
pretty severe periods and cramps because of the inflammation that the copper IUD makes in your body. Like it literally, it's there to make inflammation. And also it can cause copper toxicity, which is so bad. It's, it's so bad and it, it, can, it can really wreck you. You can make up for this by taking like some zinc supplements and maybe some magnesium, you know, to sort of counterbalance all the copper running around in your body. That's definitely something you can try if you decide to go with that route and then if it doesn't work just take it out and then there's like you know <laughs> somebody commented on one of my posts about birth control recently like why is nobody talking about like the diaphragm i think the diaphragm yeah. is great yeah i'm like okay fine yeah the diaphragm is great the sponge is great but also you know <laughs> the success rates for diaphragms and sponges are not perfect <laughs> you know they're, no they're not awesome you know and so i um I, I worry about them. I personally have never um, gone on a pill, a birth control pill. I have always, <laughs> well, I never like anybody enough to like have sex with them long term. So it doesn't, <laughs> I don't, I don't like, I, I've never really been like, oh man, I need a birth control option. Seriously, never. So with you. I have somebody I really love right now, but he lives on another continent. So it's fine. We pull out, which I, we pull out, which I think is okay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> From, from the research I've done, I was telling somebody today, I'm like, no, 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 I think it's actually okay. And they were like, no. <laughs> well, it's hard. you know it's... when you're fertile, you know, there's apps and stuff that, that help you with that. So, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I just like, I'm pretty aware and I, I put a large margin of error, you know, on both sides. And then, you know, it, it's it's okay. I'm willing to wear condoms, you know, for six, seven days a month. You know, I'm, I'm cool with that. Right. So that's... um. Right. For the sake of my health, absolutely. And my partner, you know, damn well better be too, because I'm not going to be like totally anxious and depressed or have acne or whatever. So he can feel better while we have sex. Sorry. Right. It's not happening. Right. Not to mention your loss of sex drive. If you go on the mechanism, that happens a lot. It's like it gives you a a huge surge of synthetic estrogen, which then plummets your sex drive. And then it's like, well, where did it go? I was trying to be irresponsible with sex and be able to have it whenever. But now I have no desire for it. So then and like you said, everybody wins. responds. Yeah, and then yeah. nobody wins, and then you end up in a potentially a divorce. And we don't we don't want that. We want you guys to be happy and feel empowered. Like you have choices, and that all of what we talked about today is tons and tons and tons of taking your power back, and and know that you have choices outside of what we've been raised to to think about, which is you have a problem, go to the doctor. You have a problem, go to the doctor. You have a problem, go to the doctor. Now we're encouraging you. To if a problem, ask yourself, okay, what things am I doing right now to possibly contribute to this? And and point the finger toward yourself to ask, how do I think about myself? And self-love. So we'll end there, Stephanie, and then we'll shoot a quick YouTube video to encourage people to see our faces and our eyes as we're exchanging energy. So what last tip would you offer in the the realm of self-love that would embody everything we talked about today that could be the root issue that's creating a lot of this that maybe just switching that one thing might blanket everything I'll say one thing that could be helpful I guess I mean obviously I could talk about perfectionism I think what I something that's been weighing heavily on me a lot recently is this idea that we sit with in western culture that to be doing things all the time is the healthiest and right and most moral thing to be doing right like it doesn't matter, you know, you should be like working a lot or you should be working out a lot. You know, you should be constantly pushing yourself to to do a lot of stuff. And A, I think that comes from like this 
you know, puritanical sort of history we have in the West and particularly in the States. But I also, you know, I think that a lot of the time we keep ourselves moving really quickly um, to try and not hear the quiet, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, Mm. and to sort of uh, avoid, you know, sitting with ourselves and just like trying to make that feel at home. I think people are afraid that they won't feel at home in themselves. And so don't try and just keep running. And so I I suppose I might encourage people. And again, I don't think this is a cure for everything, but it could be helpful and maybe a little bit different is to try and to use a slightly cliched phrase, focus on being a human being and not a human doing, right? (laughs) And just like, let it be okay. I personally find that when I let go of, you know, my ambitions and my goals and my needs to do X, Y, and Z things because whatever society or something, you know, nobody's going to love me if I don't do X, Y, and Z. If I can let go of those things and just like sit and be like, yes, I am like, I'm good. Like, this is me. Well, you know, what am I going to do? I find that not only do I feel better in myself, but I'm much more capable of loving other people because my own, you know, my own anxieties and my own sort of fears about the future aren't in the way. Love it. What I hear is just be with yourself. Yes. Yeah. 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 We say that out too, the the human being and doing so. Your cliche is our cliche, sister. Not surprising. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you so much, Stephanie. This is such an, a phenomenal powerhouse discussion. I've, yes. All of it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And if you guys want to check out Stephanie Ruber, of course, we've been referencing her her blog throughout the entire show. It's Paleo for Women. She also has a podcast just like us where she and Noel are talking very, very similar things to this and expanding on them. And if you hear the the hot nerdness of Stephanie, you're going to hear even more of those with multiple other topics on our podcast. So we're so happy to share the love and spread the abundance that ladies, this woman and her and her podcast partner are very similar to us talking about different things, but go d- dive deep into health and wellness and exercise so go check them out there and then we're going to have a bunch of links for you guys on eatplaysex.com where you can check out this episode make sure you share it hashtag it with eatplaysex to be entered to win your free very own yumi pleasure toy just don't run across the freeway with it in hand because we do not want you to lose it so thank you lovers for listening and tuning in and we will see you on the next episode do not forget in between the sheets and in between episodes that sex Sex matters matters